Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. And before the episode begins, I would just like to let you know that Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71, features scary stories from around the globe on a weekly basis that aim to fuel your nightmares with a smile. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could hit that subscribe button and drop a review. Thanks for listening, guys. And without further ado, let's begin. Ben and I met on Facebook in 2014, and he came to meet me in Romania in the summer of 2015. He seemed uh, a little bit odd, but otherwise okay, I suppose. But one strange thing about him, though, is that while he was at my house for a week, he didn't bathe for some odd reason, so he really stank. So I show him around Transylvania, and we both rent an apartment before his departure. We hang around there, and he leaves. Our friendship continues online, and in 2016, I moved back to Canada. In May of that year, I fly over to Vancouver to hang out with him. Now, it's important to know that this guy is a major gun nut. He collects a lot of firearms and claims to have briefly been in the Canadian Army. He also claims that he worked as a mercenary and was in Georgia during the Russian invasion in 2008. He claimed to have shot two people there and also suffers from PTSD. But anyway, I get there and his apartment is just filthy. I'm talking trash everywhere, two cats that made the place stink of cat piss. The guy kept his lights on 24-7 and on his wall was a clock that played a loud tune every hour. His behavior towards me while there was somewhat disrespectful, but I just took it as a buddy messing around with me. He did say mildly creepy things, but again I just sort of brushed it off as him being a prankster. I leave and again our friendship continues online. During this time, his conversations with me became sort of darker and more hostile in a passive-aggressive sort of way. Ben is also a hardcore alcoholic who drinks until he passes out. He does all sorts of really antisocial and downright vile things while drunk. Also during this time, 2016 to 2017 period, he said that two men briefly lived with him for a short time. When I'd press him about what happened to those two men who lived with him... He'd always just change the subject really quickly. And after what happened in 2018 when I last met up with Ben, I now have a strong suspicion that something bad might have happened to them. So fast forward to 2018 and me and my parents are driving to Vancouver from Calgary. 
and it's a perfect time to meet up for a day or two with Ben. But boy, was that a big mistake. Ben is traveling to Vancouver and we meet up at a bar near his house. We have a few drinks and he goes home for the night. The next day we meet up and his behavior towards me is really disrespectful in a passive aggressive sort of way and extremely creepy. We go to his workplace and he's very subtly disrespectful to me and his co-workers as well. He's putting me on the spot as well and trying to make me look stupid in front of everyone. He was a supervisor so most of the people underneath him were too complacent or not afraid to say anything and at the time I thought that this man is obviously some sort of a psychopath and this is where it gets to a point where I honestly believe that my life was in danger. So we go back to his place, he's drinking beer and I'm rolling a joint, a movie's playing and Ben is getting tipsy. He's basically now adopted a speech pattern in our conversation where I feel as though I'm being sort of interrogated or toyed with. He's playing a video game on his computer. I'm watching a movie. By this time, I'm feeling very uneasy. My gun instinct is telling me to just leave. Generally speaking as well, you probably should always listen to your gut instinct. It's that sort of primal thing inside of you linked to fight or flight that it's best to be obeyed. But as the day progressed and as Ben was becoming drunk, he starts saying some really weird things. He was mumbling about, I don't care for anyone but myself, I really don't care about people. There's a loaded shotgun beside the table as well. He looks at his computer screen and starts mumbling about being a madman with a gun. A few minutes later, he turns to me and says, Hey, what if I put some MDMA in your drink? Followed by... <laughs> I'm just kidding man. The cat and the mouse game continues. He's now talking about knowing a guy who is HIV positive and how he's going to get the guy to give him an infected needle to infect himself with HIV so he can live on government benefits for the rest of his life. I mean, this guy is completely unhinged obviously. I'm sitting there in disbelief as to just how vile this guy really is. And obviously I really want to leave but... I also don't want him to know that I'm ready to go. It's a really weird sort of awful and vulnerable feeling. He has another beer and turns to me and I'm now very uncomfortable. The talk is about food and he then turns to me and looks me straight in the eyes and asks, So if this was your last meal, what would you have? The look on his face was one of stone-faced sincerity and malice. I knew that I had to flee. My heart was pounding. I need to make my move. With adrenaline rushing through my body, I, I tell Ben in a very calm manner that the weed I had is making me feel funny and I need a breath of fresh air. I quickly put on my shoes and I leave before he has any chance to stop me. He makes me promise I'll come back and I go downstairs into the sunlight and I feel like a, an animal that has just escaped slaughter. The place I'm staying at is not too far from Ben's house. I'm wise enough not to tell him where I'm staying at exactly, and I start walking, feeling like I've just escaped certain death. The phone rings though, and Ben is asking where I'm at and that he's panicking. I tell him that I'm still taking a breather. Meanwhile, I get to my cousin's house and I somehow manage to get inside. Night eventually falls and the guy is calling my phone constantly. When I answer, he's trying to get me to meet up with him and go for a ride. But the tone of his voice was really flat and really fake. He says that we've just had a bad night. 
He's desperately trying to get me to go for a ride with him. But at this stage, I just sort of block his number. I block him on social media as well, and that was the last time that I spoke to that scumbag. In our many online conversations over the years, Ben would drop clues here and there about his past, that he did horrible things during his supposed gig as a mercenary. He would go on drunken tirades about being a bad man, having done bad things, He was going to AA meetings and trying to put on a facade of normality by volunteering at an old folks home, I think. But deep down, I I honestly think that he was a psychopath. A potentially dangerous one at that, and I just hope that he, he never murdered anyone other than the two people he allegedly shot while in combat duty. Vancouver is a really sketchy place as well, full of missing people. But in the end, I guess we'll just never know. This happened to me and a few other guys about uh, two weeks ago now, I think it was. I'm a a career firefighter in SWFL, and we respond pretty regularly to medical alarm activations. And tonight, we were dispatched along with EMS to a medical alarm activation. Once on scene, we noted a small mobile home with no car and no lights on. So we did our standard knock on the front door, and we can clearly hear a woman calling for help. It was clear enough to the point, in fact, that we were able to narrow down the room that she was in from the outside. All the doors were locked, so myself and my partner climbed through a window and searched the entire house, only to find it absolutely empty. And the creepiest part of it is that afterwards we talked with the EMS guys who stayed outside and talked with her, and they said that they were talking with her on the other side of the wall until they heard us in the same room. It was definitely a spine-tingling call. Many thoughts. I, uh, I still feel really sick to my stomach. And I'm honestly so freaked out right now. I have every light in the house on. But, uh, anyway, here it goes. So I volunteer for a 24-7 wildlife rescue service. Here in Australia, that mostly amounts to picking up orphan joeys from the side of the road, catching sick wallabies and roos, getting possums out of fireplaces and others ranging from very challenging to the basic. Now, I don't drive, so I only do rescues in my area or in relatively near to my suburbs. I live a block away from a wildlife reserve that has a problem with a particular parasite that's basically deadly to most macropods, animals with pouches like marsupials. So when there was a call out at 9pm in the reserve right next to me for a medium sized wallaby with toxo, I had been bored all day on my day off and I went. I mean, why not, right? So I got my tub which contains my essentials, a hessian bag, ties, gloves and head torch and went on my way. The couple that called in the rue were at the entrance of the trail, and they told me where it was. I actually knew them because our dogs liked to play together, and I was easily able to understand what part of the track that they were talking about, and I trusted them. They offered to come with me, but it was cold and late, and I didn't want to stress the little guy out by having so many people around it. So I just politely said no, and that I got this. My area is very safe, mind you, and I've had no problems walking out late or at night or in the dark or anything. But anyway, 
I walked the 30 minutes up the hill into the reserve and found the poor wallaby. He was so lethargic that he didn't bother to move when I went right up to him. Now, he was a very large wallaby, mind you. Definitely not a medium and probably weighed around uh, 45 kilos, I would say. More than half my own body weight, easily. I normally wouldn't do these sorts of rescues as well because I know it pushes my physical capabilities. But I gently maneuver him back into the sack that I had in my tub, tie it such with some cables, and I pop him in the tub. Now, having grown up in the area and in the Australian bush, I'm very, very used to the sounds of the animals in the night. The scratching, the movements, the hissing, the growling, all that stuff. And since I had my head torch on the entire time so that I could see where my feet were going, I was fine. You sort of develop uh, a sixth sense of sorts. I knew the sound so well, in fact, that I was once a nighttime bush tour guide a few years ago before I got sick. And when I get a hair-raising feeling on the back of my neck, I know that something isn't right. And sure as sure is, every hair on my body seemed to stand on end suddenly. I'm instantly on the balls of my feet, and I scan the surrounding area, thinking it could be a snake or a lost dog or something. But there's nothing. Confused, but still trusting my gut, I slowly start to travel back down the trail. The wallaby is way too heavy, so I have to stop every few meters and put it down to sort of stop the tub from cutting my hands. And then, all of a sudden, there was a large crack and movement to my rear left. I spin around and start internally freaking out. That was no animal sound that I knew of. It had to be a person. It was way too big, and there was also sudden silence, like whatever had made the noise had stopped or was stalking. So in the end, I just decided to say screw it. I pulled on my gloves, hoisted the wallaby over my back, turned off the light and started booking it down the trail sticking to the right side just along the edge of the trees. I left my tub behind because honestly I doubt anyone would take it anyway. I was freaking out so much anyway that I couldn't care less. Luckily it was mostly downhill so I got out of there in maybe 20 minutes or so. Every now and then, though, I could hear a distinctive rustle or crunching or dead bark on the ground or something that was way too big for any animal in my area, let alone one that would follow a human. The entire time as well, my instincts are screaming for me to just run, run, run. I was gripping my bag over my shoulder for dear life and didn't even stop when my shoulder was screaming to stop and rest. But eventually I made it out and down several streets, well into the tight-knit neighborhood and into the light before... I dared to even stop. I couldn't bring myself to look over my shoulder either because I could just feel someone watching me. I uh, started to cry as I made my way home only a few streets away. I told my mum and she obviously looked very worried and lightly scolded me for going out like that, even though we have both done this kind of thing before. I called up my best friend though and she came over for the night and also came with me to try and find my rescue tub with me the next day. This morning another rescuer came to take the sick route to the vet and me and Risa went back to the bush. We found it but the heavy duty plastic tub had been completely smashed up like someone had been jumping on it. There were buds of what I could only assume were rolled up cigarettes and also an empty needle on the ground. I just silently picked up my broken tub and I threw it away when I got home. I really don't think as well that I'm going to be going out at night for a, 
a long, long while after that one. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. So I've been listening to some stories here for the last few days and it actually inspired me to talk about an experience that I had when I was about 12. My mum was actually taking things out of her closet to donate to Goodwill for a tax write-off. She called me down to ask if I wanted any of the shoes that she was getting rid of and I started rummaging around her closet and found an old Hasbro Ouija board. I sort of vaguely knew what it was but I never played with one so I asked her if she would play it with me. She agreed and said that when she was finished that she would so later that evening she explained it more in detail how it worked and we set it up and began. I went into this thinking that it was honestly just a big joke but the first thing the board spelled out was my mother's name. I was sort of giggly and said to my mum, you're moving it. And she of course replied that she wasn't. She asked the board who this is and they replied with the name of my mum's boyfriend. His name was Ronnie, before she married my stepdad, Mark. Ronnie died in a motorcycle accident when I was four and I hardly remembered him. She asked Ronnie if he could prove it was him and he said a few things that only Ronnie could know. I still sort of thought that my mum was moving it because she of course would also have this knowledge. But then Ronnie said that he had to warn her about Mark. He said that Mark was a bad man and would do something to hurt me and go to prison. He said Mark needed to leave right away. We were obviously both taken aback by this because Mark had always been an amazing father and husband to my mum. My mum asked what he was going to do to hurt me and the board just kept saying things like, he's a bad man, he's a dirty man, he will go to prison, he will be punished, nothing specific. My mum got annoyed eventually and said that the real Ronnie wouldn't say these things and would be happy that her and her family have a good life now. She ended the session and we didn't play it again after that night. I was sort of left confused but eventually I just kind of blew it off. Three months later, I was getting ready for school, about to jump in the shower, and saw something shine out of the corner of my eye. Upon close inspection, I realized that it was actually a, a small camera. Long story short, my stepdad had put cameras around the house and had been recording me showering, changing clothes, and even sleeping. I slept in the nude at the time with my door locked. I discovered it and we found out that he'd been doing this for almost six months. He had the idea even longer than that and he was exchanging them with people online for other videos. He was arrested and spent a good while in prison. 
but never, never would I ever had seen this coming. It was completely out of what we thought was his character and we were absolutely destroyed as a family because of this. A few weeks after he was sent away, I was in my mum's room and she just sort of said, Ronnie was right. It freaked me out so much because honestly, I just really can't explain this. No one, and I really mean that no one had any idea that this was happening. He truly was very, very sneaky about it. But somehow, Ronnie, he knew. So I was around the age of 13 and I was staying at my friend's house for New Year's Eve. She lived out on a farm so there weren't many houses around where she lived. We were sat on her bed talking and I happened to notice a dog running into the darkness outside. He was barking but I thought that he must have been barking at a fox or something. I didn't think anything of it to be honest until maybe a few minutes later when I see him in my view again but this time he's growling and... I saw what he was growling at because there was a woman trying to hit and kick him. I told my friend that there was someone outside and she thought that I was joking. My friend turned around and realized that there actually was a woman out there. She ran out to her dad and told him about her. He ran to his room and came out with a shotgun. It's safe to say that me and my friend were scared. He didn't even seem like the type of man to own a gun. Her mum had heard the commotion and they both went outside to the woman Keep in mind, this was all well past midnight in the country, so very scary to see a random woman just outside attacking the dog. My friend's mum invited the woman inside because she seemed really distressed. She offered her a glass of water and she said that she would call the police. The woman, though, was telling us not to call the cops and that her boyfriend was actually down the road and that they had gotten into an argument and apparently it had gotten physical and she would be fine. Brian grabbed his car keys and said that he would be back and he was just going to see if the boyfriend was still there. The woman told him that she would come but he said no. And this, this is the scary part. So as he was driving down the road he saw a car and he was driving up to it. His headlights shone on the bushes and there was a man stood there trying to hide. Brian quickly turned around and drove back to the house. He told her that he was going to call the police and that she needed to stay inside until they arrived. At first he thought that she was a victim and felt sorry for the woman. But she ended up getting up and saying that she was fine and leaving even though my friend's mum was trying to get her to stay put and wait for the cops. They came out and took a statement and they told Brian that there have been a lot of car thefts lately in this manner where someone knocks late at night and gets the homeowner to help but when he had stopped and gotten out near the car then he would have had it stolen. The cops did search around the area for the couple but they didn't find them. At 13 years old this was a, such a scary experience and just really unexpected as well. We still bring it up to each other even now that we're in our 20s. And it's really just amazed us that there are people out there with such malicious intent. So, um, I've never really shared this with anyone, other than with my girlfriend of course until now, because although I have belief in paranormal events to a certain extent I suppose aliens, ghosts, certain legendary creatures, etc. 
I'm not the type that just believes every story to be true or want people to think that I've lost my mind. Anyway, it was early summer, 2010, and I only remember this because my 21st birthday had just passed and was finally legal to hit the bars. It was a Friday night and I was up having a drink at a bar that my cousin David was the bartender at. It was a small town bar that, outside of an event like a band or other entertainment was there, it usually stayed pretty quiet. It was very early in the evening as well, and I had just gotten off work for the night, working at a McDonald's in another small town less than 10 miles from the small town that I lived in. So, I was on only my second drink of the evening when my phone rang. On the other end was a friend of mine from childhood, James. He was calling, just asking if I wanted to come over to his brother's house and join them for a night of poker, beer, and weed. Sounded like a good time in my book, and since I was literally only one sip into my second gin and tonic, I agreed to make the drive into Toledo. Most people know where that is, but for those of you who don't, it's a city in the northwest region of Ohio, about an hour or so south of Detroit. It was about a 20-minute drive from my small town and figured that it would be a good time. So I stopped at home to grab some cash. I only took 10 or 20 bucks with me to the bar to make sure if I ever got caught up having a good time drinking that I didn't screw up and to have too good of a time and end up closing down the bar that evening. So I left my house at 11.05pm. I remember that distinctly as well because I had called James to tell him that I was on my way as they were going to wait for me and start the poker game at 1130 we always played a tournament style of poker game where we all put our money in at once, got equal amount of chips, and played until there was only one person left with any chips left, who then got to keep all of the money. Anyway, I took my usual route over to his brother Eddie's house, as I've done so many times before. We had all gotten together, a group of anywhere from like four to six of us, and would play poker in Eddie's basement at least twice a month, usually more. I just got into the corner of Oakdale Street and East Broadway. I was sitting at a red light with an area that's really nothing but residential housing, outside of the elementary school that sat at that exact corner. I'm sitting up, looking at the red light, just waiting for it to change, which always seemed to take absolutely forever coming from that direction, when I noticed something in the sky that from my vantage point was partially hidden directly behind the red light. It was a, a very bright white light that seemed to be pointing straight down, almost like it was a, a helicopter, maybe using a spotlight to identify something, but much, much brighter at the point of the origin. Also, I heard absolutely nothing after rolling my windows down and knew that this could not possibly be a helicopter or I would absolutely be able to hear it. Wanting a better view, I pulled into the parking lot of an ice cream shop that sat directly across the road from the school that I was nearby and got out of my car to try and figure out what this thing was. When I got out of the car, I stared up into the sky and I immediately found it again. It couldn't have been a plane as well because it just didn't have the right shape. It was more uh, an oval than anything. Most stories you hear like this say it's circular, but it was definitely an oval shape this one. I almost thought perhaps it was a blimp, given the shape that is, but it seemed far too large to be a blimp, even by the measurements that everyone knows, like the Goodyear blimp. Plus, it had no decals or identifying marks or anything. It was just all silver or greyish. But after what felt to me about 30 seconds or so of looking at this thing, my eyes just started to burn. 
Not burn in the sense of extreme burning or anything like that, but almost like the feeling of when a bug flies into your eyes and causes them to water up. So I closed my eyes and I began to rub them. My eyes are closed at this point, so obviously it's all black. After finally getting my eyes to stop bothering me, I try to look up again and find it's just gone. I looked around but couldn't see it anymore. This is a very densely populated neighborhood with houses and trees and stuff like that, able to obscure any view of things that you'd look up in the sky to see. So, after a little less than a minute, I just decided, oh well, time to go and play poker. So I get over to Eddie's house, which is about four blocks from where this had taken place, and I knock on the basement door. A few moments go by, and nobody answers, so I decide to go to the front door and knock. I figured that maybe since I'm probably like 5 or 10 minutes early, maybe they're upstairs playing on the PlayStation 3 or something. So I knock on the door, but still no answer. Finally, I start knocking very loudly on the door, almost pounding, and Eddie finally answers the door and says, Man, why are you knocking on my door this late? I look at him, honestly confused, and I said... Well, uh, your brother said to come over and come play cards with you guys. He stares at me for what felt like an eternity and finally responds. Uh, yeah, yeah, man, I know he did, but he caught you like five or six hours ago. It's 4.30 in the morning. How late did you think we would be playing? This really scared me quite a bit, as from what I had remembered, this moment... There's just no way it could be later than, like, at least 11.25, 11.30 at the most. I attempted to play it off and be cool and say, Damn, man, I must have lost track of time. Can I use your bathroom before I head back home? He agrees and tells me that I should splash some water on my face as I look like I'm either drunk or haven't slept in a week. I walk into his bathroom and I look in the mirror and... My eyes are absolutely bloodshot, and it almost looks like I have two black eyes. To this day, I have absolutely no idea what happened to me that night. I honestly have no explanation for the lost hours worth of time, how I could not have possibly noticed that much time being passed, or how on earth something that felt like my eyes being irritated by a mosquito or something similar flying into my eyes resulted in me having these huge two black eyes. I don't want to pretend to know what it was and explain it or even assume that whatever it was that I saw that evening had anything to do with it, but it has creeped me out ever since. So I just got off work. Today I worked from 7am to 1pm and around uh, 10.45 I would say a man walks in. I've had previous odd encounters with this man, such as seeing him walk behind me around my neighborhood and him hanging around out near my street and whatnot. I had brushed those off since I live right next to where I work and figured that he lived there also, but always just sort of kept an eye on him. Anyway, the man comes in and orders his usual pastry. I work at a bakery and he tells me, yeah, um, I'm going to stay inside and eat my pastry. For anyone who doesn't know, my country is currently under lockdown because of the coronavirus and all dining indoors is strictly prohibited. Not to mention that my bakery is tiny and there have never been any tables to sit inside. Only a coffee bar that has never had space to sit at. So I tell him, 
Oh, uh, well, we're actually in lockdown, so you can't really eat inside. And his response chills me. He says, Are you alone here? Uh, yeah. I respond stupidly, but quickly try to catch myself. But my coworker will be here soon. A complete lie. It's only about 11am and my coworker isn't scheduled till 1pm when I'm off. Then no one will see me in here. He responds and goes back to eating his pastry at the coffee counter. I roll my eyes and I go back to work. I'm not getting paid enough to care if he quickly eats his pastry and leaves. 10 minutes pass, then 15. This guy is still in my bakery. I look over and he's finished his pastry and has moved closer to the open space in the counter meant for the employees to walk back and forth between the front of the store and to the employee's only side. And now I'm starting to get a bit uncomfortable. I quickly text my co-worker, who's a 30-year-old man who owns a lot of guns and treats me like a little sister, 911. I look over again and now the man is even closer and is also reading a book. He's putting the book in front of his face and peeking at me from above it, just sort of watching me. Every time I turn back to him, he gets closer and closer and closer again, until eventually he's halfway in our employee-only area. I begin frantically texting my co-worker. He tells me that he's only four minutes away. I finally make the decision to text my boyfriend. I had avoided doing so to keep from scaring him, but now I was terrified. I sat in the back of the employee area watching this guy. I held a knife just in case he decided to come any closer. And just as he takes a step closer, my co-worker busts through the door. A confrontation ensues and the man leaves the shop, but continues to sit in his parked car right out front and just sort of stares at me. I tell my co-worker about the previous experiences that I've had with him and at this point, he's had enough. He marches out to the guy's car and tells him that next time he comes around, it'll be his last. My boyfriend pulls up at this point and also joins in with the warnings. I haven't seen this guy since then, but I'm definitely keeping a lookout. So when I was 16, I was dating a guy who was just a little bit older than me, and his name was Mitch. My parents never let us hang out alone, but to my surprise, they let him come on a family camping trip with us once. I think because it was a, kind of a special occasion, since the camping season was ending, and also because the site that we were going to had been a, kind of a, a tradition for us. But this season when it closed, it would never again reopen for camping, because people ruined it by dumping trash and trespassing nearby properties. Anyway, so my dad, mum, Mitch and I are all going camping. Mitch and I have our own tent, my parents have theirs, we have an amazing first day there, we went on Friday morning and planned to stay through Sunday night. Mitch and I spent the day walking along paths, catching lizards, swimming, exploring and just talking about creepypastas that involve the woods. At some point we were exploring and realized that there were nearby properties, maybe two or three cabins about four miles down a dirt road from a campsite. Later that night, my parents made a big fire and we were eating burgers. My parents were drinking and Mitch and I were trying to make s'mores while also trying to pretend that we weren't terrified after talking about creepypastas all day long. I'm in the middle of trying to explain the rake to my sloshed parents and Mitch gasps because there's a guy walking down the road from the direction of the cabins. Again, it was like four miles away. 
So we all kind of get quiet. And my dad calls out to the guy something like, Hey, how's it going? And the guy doesn't say anything back. My dad called again, yelling, Are you camping? We have this spot reserved. Not in like a, a mean way, just trying to get the guy to respond. The guy still doesn't say anything until he's like right up to our campsite, which was really weird because it took like two minutes of silent walking to get to us after we first called out to him. He comes up closer to us and is like, uh, Hey there, folks. Uh, I was just walking around. Sometimes I take a walk down here from the cabin and see if anyone's camping. Then this guy sits down and talks to my parents for a while. My parents are super drunk and I think they've been smoking something as well all day. I didn't know this at the time, but when I was older they told me that they were pretty big potheads my whole childhood. Because they were surprisingly chill with this strange man appearing and were really friendly. They all talked about what a shame it was the camping season was ending and how terrible it was that this campsite was closing, etc. Mitch and I whispered though back and forth and were talking about how weird this guy was. How weird it was that he walked this far, didn't talk at first, and just invited himself into our campsite. But then we started noticing other things. Mitch pointed out that the guy's zipper was down, and he had some lengthy cargo shorts and his boxes were like poking out. And then I pointed out that in this entire interaction, the guy had been there for maybe 10 or 15 minutes now, talking to my parents. He hadn't even acknowledged us with a single word despite sitting across the fire from us and continuously looking at us. Then, we both noticed how the guy was sort of mimicking my parents. He went from being sort of drunk to sober, then to acting like he was drunk. He started slurring his words, getting a bit wobbly, laughing, which sounded very strained, and being just generally louder. Mitch and I were so freaked out, in fact, that we'd been talking about all the creepypastas all day and this encounter felt like a creepypasta and the guy kept getting stranger and stranger and there was just no way to say something to my parents without him hearing. Mitch and I eventually stood up and walked a few feet behind us over to the cooler and pretended to get out some stuff to make some hot dogs. And as soon as we had backed off a few feet, the guy switched the convo to talk about us. He asked my parents if this was a double date and they explained that I was their kid and Mitch was my boyfriend. He asked how old we were and they told him I was 16 and he was 18. He asked if we were good kids and they said yes. Then he asked, well where are they going to be sleeping tonight? I froze and looked at Mitch who had reached out and squeezed the heck out of my forearm in fear and was staring at me wide eyed. To my drunk, maybe even high parents, this question didn't seem weird enough to even pause. The guy was still pretending to be drunk, and he was really playing it up at this point, nearly falling off the tote that he was sitting on. But my parents were like, laughing mind you. Yeah, we are. Uh, we got them their own tent. The guy said something like, Oh wow, that's really nice of you guys. That'll be an experience for them, right? I can't explain it, but... The way that he said it was just really sexual. I think this too was when my parents kind of clued on to the weirdness. I looked at my mum who looked kind of slack-jawed and uncomfortable and was staring at me with a quizzical look. The guy kept talking asking them, well I see one tent, where's the other one? My dad was still talking to him and could barely keep his eyes open at this point. He was so out of it. 
My dad motioned towards my parents' tent and said that that was theirs, and then threw his arm back super exaggerated in the direction of our tent, really not very far at all, and was like, and theirs is way over there. The guy perked right up and actually stood up a bit, and pointed to their tent and said, oh, uh, so that's your tent? And my dad agreed. And their tent is in that direction? And my dad agreed again. At this point, I was actually shaking my head at my mum, and she looks pretty sobered up all of a sudden. The guy keeps talking to my dad about the tents and about how we can't see Mitch and I's tent from there, about how it must be pretty well hidden or very far away, and that's so nice of my parents for letting us have some alone time, etc. And Mitch and I say that we're going on a walk, and despite the woods being pitch black and us being creeped out, we got out walking down the trail, the trail the guy happened to come from, we get far enough away not to hear them and can barely see the fire now, and we pull our phones out to see if we have call signal, and of course we don't. I'm being super dramatic, and I type out and send my friend a long message describing the situation, the date, the time, the description of the guy, and that I love her, and my phone gives me the message that it'll send it when it finds service. The whole time I type, I'm reading it out loud to Mitch, and he's telling me stuff to add. We try to psych ourselves up and start walking back to the campfire. And when we do, the guy is gone. But I thought maybe he was just peeing, so I whispered to my mum asking where he is. And my parents are both like, uh, he went back to his cabin a bit ago. He didn't pass on you on the road, did he? We're just like, what? We start freaking out now, but we also feel a bit safer now that he's actually gone and we can talk to my parents and we start yelling a mile a minute at my parents about how he didn't pass us, about his fly being down and him acting drunk too much to them, about how he really pressed to know where we'd sleep that night and all that stuff. My mum agreed with us and said that she noticed that too and it did freak her out as well. My dad was pretty trash though but said that he got a really creepy vibe from the guy Mitch and I stayed with them though and we talked about the guy and how freaked we were for about another hour and then my parents wanted to go to bed. Mitch and I went and ran to our tent and we basically just hauled ass with the whole tent and all of our belongings in it getting thrown around and we slid it right up next to my parents tent and we couldn't sleep all night long because every crunchy leaf made us think that the guy was creeping up on us. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Bee Scared Podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, 
which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.